Luke chapter number 7 this morning. Luke chapter number 7. While you find your place, let me say welcome to the house of God. I'm thrilled that you're here. I trust that you are here by providence, that God has a reason for you to be here. A lot of places you could have been. A lot of folks that chose to be in another place, but you chose to be here in the house of God. I don't know what y'all have done to offend all these people on this side of the church, but they've all left, and Fred's saying it's him. Amen. I appreciate that honesty. But uh, this crowd over here is making up for it. Amen. So, and, uh, y'all uh, don't feel too bad because if we take float, that side will sink first. Amen. <laughs> Luke chapter number 7 this morning. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 36. Luke chapter number 7. Verse 36, I believe this is probably a fairly familiar passage of Scripture to most students of the Bible this morning. Luke chapter number 7, verse number 36, the Word of God says that one of the Pharisees desired him, desired Jesus, that he would eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Uh, don't you know that was a nerve-wracking thing to hear? Amen. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain credit which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins which are many are forgiven, For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity. Father, when we utter those words, we love you. We say it so often. Father, I just pray that they'd never lose the meaning. Father, that they'd never lose the the potency, the significance that they ought to carry with them. For Lord, you loved us much, and I pray that you'd help us to love you more. I pray, Father, that this morning each heart would be touched by the preaching of thy word, and that the work that needs, so desperately needs to take place in our hearts, would take place by the power and ministration of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be sure to thank you for all that takes place. For if anything happens, Lord, it'll have been you that's done it and not us, and we readily confess that, and we just commit this service unto you. We ask it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. I'd like for you to notice a statement that the Lord Jesus makes in verse number 47. I think most of us, just in the simple 
reading of this passage have a fairly good grasp of what's transpiring. Uh, There seem to have been two occasions in the gospel records in which a woman came and anointed the Lord Jesus bearing an alabaster box. Uh, I believe this occasion to be separate from the other occasions that are mentioned in the Word of God. I believe that this was a distinct event. One of them took took place in the house of Simon the leper. This one before us takes place in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And there are other things that I think denote the response and the the conversation that takes place is wholly different from what transpires when when Mary comes and anoints the feet of Jesus uh, just prior to the crucifixion. But in the passage that we've read, the woman is described as a great sinner that has come to the Lord Jesus and is is worshiping Him. That's what she's doing. When you weep at someone's feet, when you kiss their feet, when you take your most precious possession, pour them out before them, you're worshiping them. And that's what she's doing. She's worshiping Jesus. And in response to this, Simon, this Pharisee, and, and I don't mean that in as, as critical a way as it sounds. We, we know that uh, we use the term Pharisee in a very negative connotation today. And I believe they earned that reputation in Scripture. But I don't believe Simon was a bad man. I, I think he thought what most of us would have thought. I think he thought, man, I can't believe the Lord Jesus is let, don't he, don't, don't he know who she is? But of course he did know who she was. So he uses this occasion to teach a powerful truth about the topic of forgiveness and of love. And he draws a direct connection, a direct correlation between how deeply we feel the forgiveness and see the need of forgiveness in our life and how greatly we love the one that has forgiven us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says about this woman in verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, here, her sins which are many are forgiven. Notice this next phrase, for she loved much. She loved much. I think most of us in the house of God today, if we were to take a poll and ask people to uh, raise a hand or mark down on a ballot, if we were to ask who in this place loves the Lord Jesus, I think probably everybody would say, oh yes, preacher, I love the Lord Jesus. And I believe you. I believe you probably wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't love the Lord Jesus. I believe you probably wouldn't live the life that you do and and, and behave in the way that you do if you did not love the Lord Jesus. I, I don't for one moment doubt that. Here's the question I have for you. How much do you love the Lord Jesus this morning? This woman loved much. She did not merely bear an affection to the Savior But the the preeminent quality of her life, and we'll see it before we're done today, the the thing that she was known by was how much she loved the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, I want to be known for loving Him. I I don't just want to love Him. I, I, I want to love Him much. Now before we get into the preaching, let me give you a few things that I think are important to note about loving Him. Because I think sometimes we view the love that we show towards someone as being a selfless act. But I'd have you know that love has some benefits. And loving Jesus has some benefits in particular. Let me say a few things about it. One, let me say that loving Him, loving the Lord Jesus is sensible. It is appropriate action. 
I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter number 12 when he talks about uh, us giving ourselves a living sacrifice. And he says about that act that that is a reasonable service. Can I tell you something? That loving the Lord Jesus is a reasonable thing. It is an appropriate thing. Have you ever seen somebody in life, maybe you've seen a couple and uh, maybe one of them was abusive or cruel or, or, or hateful and you thought, how does he love her? How does she love him? Why would she do such a thing? Let me tell you, if you look at our relationship with the Lord Amen. Jesus, if you look at what He's done, I think that it is plain to see that He is worthy of our love. Amen. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He said, And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that describes the love of God. That the love that God had towards us was selfless. The love that God had towards us was sacrificial. The love that God had towards us was rooted in His grace, not rooted in our good. But then listen to what he says down in verse 19. As a result, as a product of that, John says we love Him because He first loved us. Hey, listen, somebody love you like Jesus does, it only makes sense to love them back. And nobody has loved you like Jesus loves you. Nobody found you the way He found you. Nobody helped you the way He helped you. Nobody's forgiven you the way that He forgave you. Nobody's lifted you the way that He lifted you. Nobody's cleansed you the way that He's cleansed you. I'm telling you, nobody has ever loved you like Jesus has. And it just makes sense to love Him back. It's just it's sin. Sensible to love Him back. I think loving Him is sensible. Let me say, number two, loving Him is spiritual. In other words, it is the right behavior. It is the, the characteristic of a person under the control of the Holy Spirit that they love Jesus Christ. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said about loving God and about loving Him. One day a lawyer came to Jesus and asked Him this question. Now, he was tempting Him. He wasn't asking it in sincerity. But it was an important question nonetheless. He asked Him saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Of all these commandments, over 600 commandments, what's the greatest one? If you had to narrow it down, what's the greatest one? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now what did He mean by that? He meant this. That if a person sincerely, passionately loves the Lord and loves his neighbor as himself, he will act out and live out what was the spirit and intent of the Old Testament law. Uh, the law, and I don't have time, boy, I'd love to just dig in and jump in right here. Uh, but I, the, the Old Testament law, one of the things it was given for was to regulate the behavior of the children of Israel, make them different than the Gentile nations around them. It was not there to make them righteous or perfect because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But it was there to regulate and to make them different than their neighbors around them. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to sum it all up, if you want to know how to be spiritual, if you want to know how to be like God wants you to be, you've got to love Me first. Loving Him is spiritual. It makes us what God wants us to be. And that's not to say that loving Him is the sum total of what God wants us to be, but it is to say that loving Him is the beginning of being what God wants us to be. It is it is the root from which the tree of our Christian life grows. Loving Him is spiritual. But then let me say this, loving Him, I believe, is safe. There are some folks you're afraid to love. You're afraid they'll hurt you. 
There's some folks you're afraid to love because you're afraid that love of them will make you do things that are that are uh, that are ill-advised or that are dangerous or harmful to your life. But did you know that you'll always be better for loving the Lord Jesus? You remember what the Lord said about the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. Uh, I, now I believe that in some ways those churches in Revelation chapter two. I know they were literal, real churches, historical churches. They existed at the time uh, that John wrote these letters. I think they also, in some ways, give sort of an overview of what happens to a people group once the gospel enters. If they uh, if they don't walk close to God, they'll sort of follow this progression. And I think because we are sort of Western minded about the church, I think that's why we look at the church and say, well, it's a picture of the church. But regardless, I think you see a progressive thing going on here. In other words, you start off like the church at Ephesus. And then if you don't repent when some things get wrong, you wind up like the next church. And if you don't uh, repent, get some things right when they go wrong, you wind up like, and finally you wind up like the Laodicean church. I believe that's true for a local church. I believe it's true for an individual Christian. I believe it's true for any people group when the gospel enters the realm of, of their comprehension. But listen to what he says about the church at Ephesus. That's the first church. So we're talking about right when, if we were talking about a Christian, we'd be talking about a newborn Christian, a baby Christian, a young Christian. And he says this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. I want the Lord to say that about me. Man, that's good. Well, if God could say that about me at the end of my life, I'd feel like I've really done something. But then he cannot stop there. He says this in verse number four. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Uh Uh-oh. I have somewhat against thee. This is why. Because I has left thy first love. Let me just uh, tell you something. Every Laodicean church began as an Ephesian church. Every Laodicean Christian began as an Ephesian Christian. Every single one of them went down a pathway. And you know where it began? It began when they left their first love. Well, who's your first love? Who's the first person that we ever love with the love of God? We love Him because He first loved us. He loved us. The Lord Jesus showed love towards us. We responded to that love and reciprocated that love by loving Him back. To leave your first love is to leave your love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a dangerous path to walk. I see that loving Him is a safe thing. It'll keep us close. It'll keep us clean. It'll keep us consecrated if we'll stay in love with Jesus. Vance Habner said about revival, that's what revival is. It's falling in love with Jesus all over again. That's what we need this morning. And I think this woman gives us a clear example of how to love Him much. I want you to notice a few things out of our text this morning, and then I'll be done. First, I want you to notice that the Bible reveals to us, Christ reveals to us here, the cause of loving Him much. If you're like me, and, and I pray this all the time, I, when I pray, I'll very often say, Lord, I love you, but teach me to love you more. I want to love Him more than I already do. And sometimes I feel like, Lord, I, I want to love you more, but I don't know how to love you more. But you know, the Bible teaches us how to cause our love for the Lord Jesus to grow. The Lord tells this parable. Look at verse number 44. Uh, he turned, or excuse me, look back at verse number 41. The Lord Jesus tells this this parable, this story, to illustrate this truth and says there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Now, can I just stop and say this? Both of these fellows were in debt. 
Both of them risked being thrown in debtor's prison in that day. Both of them were forgiven by the same grace and the same magnanimous nature that forgave the other one. They were both forgiven by their master. They were both forgiven frankly, meaning immediately and boldly and plain-facedly and without reserve and without strings. And yet one of them left there loving the one, the master, the, the, the credit. One of them left there loving him more than the other. Simon answers the, the question, but I'd like to go back and look at it in more detail. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Now here's the question I have. How do we ever know what anybody else's debt is? The fact is, I know my lost condition. I know that you are a lost sinner. But we all say all the time, and it's true, we are all lost and on our way to hell without Christ. A person may be a great sinner or they may be perceived to be a moral sinner, but they're going to die and go to hell just the same. I do believe that there are degrees of punishment because I believe there are degrees of sin. But I believe even the slightest and lightest of man's iniquity is enough to condemn him to hell forever. So what is it that made the difference? I would say that there's a few things. One, a keen awareness of their debt. That really gets to the heart of what the Lord Jesus is teaching. He's saying one of them had a bigger debt than the other one, and he knew. Now again, their debts would have sent them to the same place, but it didn't matter. You know what one of them realized? One of them realized that he was so deep in debt, that, that his debt was so vast, that it was more of a sacrifice for the fellow to forgive him than it was for anyone else. You know what I find helps my love for the Lord Jesus grow? When I recognize just how in debt I was. Just how in debt I was. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean a sin debt. I mean a spiritual debt. The reality is this. We all say, you know, well, we're sinners by nature. That indeed we are. We're sinners by nature before we're ever sinners by practice. Uh, Listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's exactly what we are. But let me tell you something. Uh, Even if I had never had a sin nature uh, that would have condemned me to hell, I've done enough wrong in my life that I ought to go there by my own rights, by my own account. Uh, Listen, I've laid up quite a debt in my life. You say, preacher, you mean before you say? I mean, even after I've been saved, I've done enough things that that were not for the grace of God and the security of His promise. I deserve to die and go to hell. Found that people, this is just a truism of life. People without an awareness of how lost they were rarely exhibit love to the Lord or compassion towards others. By the same token, and by the way, old Simon here, he didn't have a lot of compassion, did he? He said, if the Lord knew what she was and who she was and where she's been, he wouldn't even let him touch her, or he wouldn't even let her touch him. He didn't know Jesus like he thought he did. He didn't exhibit compassion. Simon never even considers himself. And when he thinks about her, he condemns her. And the reason is because Simon was the fellow with 50 pence debt. They they all had debt, but he perceived himself to have less of it. Again, I I would remind you, you've heard people say things like this, being a day late and a dollar short. When the bill collector comes calling, it don't matter if you're a dollar short or a million short, uh, you're short nonetheless. (laughs) We need to have a keen awareness of just how much our debt is. Not only that, look at verse number 42. Verse 41 says there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay. I think that this woman had a keen awareness of her spiritual debt, but I think she also had a keen awareness of her spiritual destitution. As we said, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Uh, the the reason we say that a a day late and a dollar short is because a dollar short is too short if you want to get the debt paid. 
You see, the reality is this. Not only were we on our way to hell, not only did we owe a debt, we owed a debt that we could never, ever, ever pay. We deal in the currency of good works and of promises to God, but that's not the currency that God deals in. You might as well be playing, uh, paying with plastic pearls and plug nickels and plastic diamonds as to try to pay God's sin debt with good works or with baptisms or with church membership. He don't accept that kind of currency. He ain't interested. It holds no value in His kingdom. The thing that He's interested in is that we be saved by grace through faith, that we believe the promise of God, that we repent of our sins and that we call on the Lord Jesus to save us and forgive us. The fact of the matter is, there's no amount of good works you could do that could ever even put a dent in the sin debt you and I have. She was destitute. Hey, it wasn't just that she had ran up a big debt. Can I be honest? You know what scares me more than Iran? Our national debt. Amen. We nuke Iran. What are we going to do about our debt? (laughs) 21 trillion and counting or something. I ever seen one of them debt clocks that's real time and terrifying. I mean, it it just, it it, 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 it looks like a bait pasture spinning. It's terrifying. sold the futures of our grandkids' grandkids. We are so absolutely destitute of any economic means to try to pay this. And by the way, people are still saying we need to bring in folks that have no means of contributing economically to our situation. What a dangerous situation. Man. Preacher, that's uncompassionate. Well, when you're killing dogs to eat them, we'll talk about compassion. When you're, when, when you're carrying around a double bag full of cash to try to buy a dozen eggs like they do in Venezuela, then we talk about compassion. Amen. I'm just telling you this, and let me apply it to a spiritual truth. What's, what's scary is not just our debt, it's our destitute. That's it. You think that little debt counter will make your head spin? Y'all look at your sin debt. That's it. Because the fact of the matter is, we, we, we owe a debt and owe a debt. And not only did we owe that debt, there was no means to, we had nothing. Our best attempts at righteousness are the filthy rag. The best 30 seconds is future in the eyes of the world. That's us. We had no way to pay that thing, man. I think we have to have an awareness of our destitution that we had no way. But then notice what it says. I love this, verse 42. The Bible says, when they had nothing to pay. Oh man, I like that. When they, man, they had nothing. What nothing they could do about it. He could either throw them in prison. He could have them put to death. But because of His mercy, because of His love, because of His grace, because He valued their life more than that money, He frankly forgave. I think this woman, she had a keen awareness of her deliverance. What a debt she had. What a deliverance she partook in when that debtor or when that creditor just forgave it. Preacher, how did he do that? Well, he had enough in the storehouse he could afford. See, he forgave that out of his grace. Not because that, that debtor had done anything to earn it. Not because that debtor had paid a single mite on that debt. But simply because he had so much in the storehouse he could afford. He did it by his grace. I think that's the cause of her loving him. Well, she was aware of all these things. 
of this. She was no more lost than Simon was. Right. Simon just wasn't aware of it the way she was. You know, and that's how folks fall out of love with Jesus. They forget that that was them. They forget that debt that they had. Man, they've been going to church and toting their Bible and paying tithes, and they forget how lost they were. Jesus says, you want to fall back in love with me? Just cast your mind's eye backward and just remember where you were when I found you. I see the cause of loving him much. But then notice the characteristics of loving him much. How does loving him manifest? Well, let's look at what she did. Look down at verse 44. We could read it in the narrative of the text earlier, but I like the way the Lord Jesus puts it in stark comparison to the way that Simon had behaved. Verse 44, he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Let me say that the first thing I noticed, the way that her loving him, how she showed love. Different people show love. In, in, there's some people, if they want to show you how much they love you, they cook for you. I like those people. I try to surround myself with those people. There is, but how did she show him? Well, I would say this. Notice first off the praise that she showered yeah. upon him. Yeah. He said, well, preacher, what do you mean? We don't have anything recorded of her speaking a single word. No, but she did something interesting. She wept on his feet. That's a great emotional show. Some people don't like emotion. Amen. They were at a football game. Then they like emotion. Especially like that one we watched the other day. Uh, folks got real emotional. Amen. I, listen, I believe God made us emotional creatures. Now, I, don't, I don't think that the substance of our worship should be emotion, but I do think one of the symptoms of our worship should be emotion. She wept at his feet, and then she did something unusual. She took a hair, and she began to wash his feet. Oh my, there's so much we could say about this. The Lord Jesus would later on give this as an example of forgiveness and of restoration in John chapter number 13 to wash the feet. Uh, of another person. Uh, we could talk about the fact that, that, that she did something to, to, to pick up the slack and pull up the slack from where Simon had not done what, what he was supposed to do. But can I remind you of a New Testament verse that, that always jumps to my memory when I read this passage. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, really what he's talking about is headship and authority in the home. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have misconstrued, misinterpreted these verses. It really don't have anything to do necessarily with hair in, in the physical sense, but it's a spiritual truth that he is relating. But he says this about women, and I think this is just a practical observation. He says, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a cup. Now, listen, I'm not up here to preach on bob hair and bossy wife, but I am saying this, I think most of us can acknowledge for most women, their hair is an important thing to them. It's their glory. If you don't believe that, just try to get out of the house on time some morning. It's their glory. I shouldn't say that. My wife's the only one God's out of the house. She's very long before me. But, but I'm saying women give great attention to their hair. It's their glory. They're proud. And Paul picks up on that truth to relate to other spiritual people. Can I take that practical observation? And lay alongside our passage here in Luke chapter number 7. You know what she was doing? She was taking her glory and washing his feet. The most glorious thing that she had, the most valued component of her physique, the, the thing that most women will go to great pains and, and great careful observation, trying to make sure everything's right. She took that and said, you know, his feet are so fresh. 
most of the time when we love somebody, we praise them. I, I, I love my kids, and, 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 and I, just, I look for good things to say about them. Sometimes you have to look for good things to say about them. I do that because I love them. I, I brag on our church. I love our church. I brag on our church people. When we love someone, we oftentimes will praise him. How often do you praise him? Hey, if you were put in a court of law to be convicted of being a, a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence? Could they look at your social media and see that you love Jesus? Could, could they look at your text messages and see that you love Jesus? Could they record your conversations with people and see that you love Jesus? I think that if we really love Him, one of the greatest ways to show them, the Hebrews writer said, is to offer up the sacrifice of our lips as praise unto Him. Amen. I think we'll praise Him. Not only do I see the praise that she showered, but notice verse number 45. The Bible says this, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Now that's beautiful. And we love to think about all the great spiritual truths. And I'm going to give you spiritual truth about it. Why don't you take it down to practical realm? You understand that people in that day walked around in sandals. And they typically walked everywhere that they went. And it was a dry condition. And and very often that's why one of the first things they do when they walked into a house is they'd be given a basin so that they could wash their feet. Because their feet would be muddy and they'd be sweaty and they'd be nasty. The Bible says that Jesus said, since I came in. Remember He said to Simon, you gave me no basin. You gave me no water to wash my feet. And since I came in, don't you wonder if maybe he looked at it and said, well, if she's going to kiss his feet, I ain't going to bother with washing it. Hey, listen, God help you never be somebody that will say, I'll just let somebody else love on you. Amen. I want to be the one that falls at his feet. No room for that basin and water. Let me just kiss his feet. Amen. you know that this was a great act of You know what she was doing? She was, I want you to notice the pride that she swallowed. It was a, an act of humiliation to fall at his feet. But she said, hey, yeah. if there's no water to wash his feet, then it'd be better that I got down on my hands and knees and humiliated myself and that he'd go without having water to wash his feet. Hey, listen, I wonder how many of us would say this. Hey, it'd be better for you to get down on my hands and knees and pray than for him to not be given praise and honor and prayers. I wonder how many of us would say, hey, it'd be better for me to get down on my hands and knees and scrub that floor, wash that toilet, change that track, keep that Sunday school class, do this. It'd be better for me to humiliate myself, to persecute my flesh than for one of his needs to go unmet. I think the pride that she swallowed. But then I would like you to notice the prosperity she alabaster box. And it says later on about Mary that when she gave uh, ointment in an alabaster box, she broke it. And I'm going to make the assumption, you can accept or reject it, but I, I'm going to make the assumption that the way these boxes were crafted, they probably had to be broken. <laughs> Certainly she would not have broken that box were there no reason to do so. Notice what verse 46 says about this woman. Jesus says, My head with oil Thou didst not anoint. Now that was the common practice. You came in, they give you a basin. This is how you treated a guest. They take the basin, they wash their feet, and then they take that precious ointment, that precious oil, 
And just a drop or two was all it would take to knock the dust off, to knock the smell off from where they'd been traveling out in harsh country. And they would anoint their head. And, and fragrize, that's a word I just made up, fragrize their head, perfumize their head, so that they could sit there in comfort and enjoy the aroma of it. Jesus says to Simon, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. It would have been unthinkable to take that precious ointment and, listen now, waste it. That's how they viewed it. By the way, later on, whenever Mary comes and does this very same thing, Judas says, why was this waste given? Why was this waste made? This money could, this could have been sold and given. He said it was a waste to do this. It was perceived as a waste to anoint a person's feet. Because they were just going to wind up smelling again a lot sooner than their head would have. But not to her. She said, listen, if there's no, if there's no basin to wash his feet with, and if nobody's going to anoint his head, she said, far be it from me to stand up and to stand above him and to elevate above him. But if I can just take this gift, and pour it out on his feet. That'll be sufficient. And you say, preacher, that's good. Well, it's real good when you think about how much that thing is worth. Whenever Judas criticizes Mary, they said that it was worth 300 but that was Those were, were, were denarius. That would have been the equivalent in today's money of about $54,000 for a year's salary. And she took this. I don't know how she got this. I don't know how she it could have been from her old life. It could have been from, hey, that, by the way, that ointment might have been the product of, uh, of some dirty money. But she said, now I'm forgiven. So it all belongs to him. Amen. Some would call it waste. Call it worship. Okay, so how do you view the giving of your resources to God? If you view it as a waste, then it is that very thing. It means nothing to God, it means less to you. It is worship, you know, you'll find it's a peace and good and profitable investment. I've never met anybody that gives to the Lord. You said, preacher, now you're talking about money. Well, yeah, if the Holy Ghost is talking to you about money, right. yeah, I am talking to you about Amen. money. But I'm talking about more than money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about our talents. I'm talking about our tears. I'm talking about how we live our lives. The most precious things to us. If you think it's a waste to give it to Him, it will be a waste to Him. Amen. But I've never met anybody to give anything to the Lord and didn't wind up being blessing them. You say, well, preacher, is that why you do it? No, listen, this is why you do it. The same reason she did it. Because he was worthy. That's why she did it. To our knowledge, she didn't never get this ointment back, at least immediately. But it didn't matter. She said, he's worthy. Not saying he's worthy. There's nothing you can give him that he's not worthy. Amen. He's worthy of all of it. I, I see the characteristics, and then I'll notice in closing the consequences of loving Him much. What does it produce in our life? Well, notice a few things, and I, I want to do a little exposition here. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, does that mean that it's through our loving Him that our sins 
are forgiven, that she earned her salvation by loving Him? No, that's not what the Lord says. And He clarifies that. He he answered the question, you're thinking. Because look what He says in verse 50. He said to the woman, thy faith hath saved me. He didn't say thy love hath saved me. He said thy faith hath saved me. Just say thy faith, same as you and me. But what did the Lord Jesus mean when He said, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much? He was saying this, I can tell that her sins had been forgiven. You know how I can tell, Brother Fred? You know how I can tell she had a lot of sins? And you know how I can tell that all those sins are forgiven? Because she loved much. I see that her love is evidence. It's evidence of the great work of grace that God had done in her heart. Her, Her forgiveness is not the product of her love. Her love is the product of her forgiveness. That's the whole spirit and truth and meaning and theme of the parable that's told. And now the Lord Jesus looks at her and says, you know, I know you've been forgiven. I know you are a wretched sinner, but I know you've been forgiven. You know how I know, lady? Because of the way you love. Is our love proportionate to the great work of forgiveness that He's done in our life? I see that her love is evidence. I see her love is endorsed. The whole purpose of this is for Jesus to say, you see what this woman did? That's how I want to be loved. I tell people all the time, if you come to Wall Ridge, man, we'll treat you so many ways you're bound to like one or two of them. There's some folks that they mean well, but they just don't know how to love people. I, it's like an old dog you used to have. What he said, I love you, he dragged a dead possum up on the front porch. And that was a big deal to him. He'd look at you and you'd see in his eyes. He thought, yeah, that's for you. <laughs> I'm going to rack it, but I don't have time. <laughs> yeah, some people just love differently. Some people don't know how to love. I want to love him the way he wants to be loved. Amen. I want to love him the way that, that he wants to be loved. He endorsed the way she loved him. You know what that means? If I want to love him right, I need to love him the way that she loved him. Her love was endorsed. Notice her love was enriched. He said, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. You know what happened? Her life was better. She had more peace. She had greater faith. She had a deeper walk. She had a greater understanding. Hey, she got closer to him by loving him than she could have got any other way. Yeah. <laughs> there are passages in the Bible, Mark chapter 2 comes to mind, when the crowds are clamoring outside the, the, the doors of the house because they want to hear him and they want to see him. But when somebody wanted to love him, God always made a way for them to get close. Right. They wanted to love him. If you want to get close to him, fall in love. Right. Her love was enriched. And then finally, I'd say this, her love was in triumph. What do you mean, Richard? Well, it's funny when we read this passage. By the time we get to the end, we kind of forget how this whole thing started. We don't think of her as a harlot or as a wicked woman. We don't think of her as someone filthy or unclean. By the time we get to the end of the, by the message, by the time we get to the end of the passage, man, we want to be like her. We don't remember her iniquity. We remember her sincerity. Amen. She's not remembered. Listen, we remember her as a sincere worshiper instead of a sinful woman. You know the greatest legacy you can leave for your life 
You know the way people oftentimes walk around dragging baggage. Here we come into 2020. Some of y'all ain't going to drop the baggage from 2017 yet. And there's people that walk around in life with regrets and, and shame over things that they've done. You know the greatest way to clean a slate. You know the greatest way to have a better testimony. You know the greatest way to get rid of your baggage. Fall in love with Him. We don't remember nothing about what this woman, woman did before this moment. She's not defined by her past. She's defined by her passionate worship. You say, I want the rest of my life to count, preacher. i got a lot of mistakes I've made in the past. I want the rest of my life to count. Then spend it loving Him. And people won't remember you for those things you did. They'll remember you for the love that you had towards Him. I want to love Him much. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to the piano to play. The altar's open. If God has touched your heart now, would be the perfect time. Any time's a good time. Now would be a perfect time. Say, preacher, help me to love but Lord, help me to love you more. Lord, Lord help me to, to, to fall in love with you afresh and anew. Help me to, to lay at your feet and weep upon them and wash your feet with my hair, kiss your feet with my, my lips and the praise of my voice. Lord, help me to be in love. Help me to love you more today than I loved you before. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. He's going to play as soon as he's ready. The altar's open. What about you this morning? Do you love Him? You probably do. I trust that you do. Oh, but listen, we can always love Him more. You might be here this morning and say, Preacher, I never knew He loved me like that. I never knew He could pay a debt as big as mine. I never knew He was even interested in somebody like me. Oh, I, I want to know Him the way that, that she knew Him. I, I, want to, I, I want to know the love of Christ the way that she knew it. I said, Preacher, I... If I'm being honest, I don't know the Lord. I'm lost, but I don't want to be. I, I want to know Him. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want my life to change. That you would just slip your hand up on me and embarrass you. Call your name, but I pray for you. The altar is open. If God's touched your heart, now's a good time to come. These are praying. We have all the time we need. If God touched your heart, please be obedient to the Lord. You've seen fit, seen through to bring us to this place. Lord, let us never forget the great love that you have shown and do show to us day by day. 
I thank You for the obedience of Your people. I thank You for the sweet spirit we felt. I pray, Father, that You would continue to have Your hand upon the remainder of this service. Help us as we walk through this world that we might be a beacon of Your love that You've showed in our lives, but the love that You have towards a lost and dying world. We'll be sure to thank You. We ask it in Christ's name.